Hello and welcome to Healing from Within. I am your host, Cheryl Glick, Reiki Master Energy Teacher and author of the last book in a trilogy, A New Life Awaits, Spirit-Guided Insights to Support Global Awakening. And today I am delighted to welcome Malcolm Stern, author of Slay Your Dragons with Compassion, a psychotherapist, author, and co-founder of Alternatives at St. James Church in London. Hello, Malcolm, and thank you for joining us on Healing from Within to help everyone see that meaning can exist even after the worst tragedies. Thank you, Cheryl. Nice Nice to meet you. Yes, and you too. Malcolm, as listeners of Healing from Within have come to expect... My very talented and special guests and I share intimate, insightful experiences in the hope that we may all come to understand our duality or the human and energetic or spiritual essence of life. For with a clearer understanding of who we are and where we come from, uh, we are able to begin to make better choices thereby creating more compassionate, successful life experiences and discovering once again that we truly are magnificent souls with the capacity to love, to love ourselves, and to love life. In today's episode of Healing from Within, Malcolm Stern shares every parent's worst nightmare, telling us about when his daughter Melissa committed suicide in 2014 and how grief made him challenge every aspect of his work and life. Malcolm, I always love to ask my guests to think back to their childhood and remember a person, place, or event that may have signaled to them or to those around them the life, interests, or work, or values they might embrace as an adult. For I think that within the heart and mind of the child is a quest for life that has already been imprinted on their souls. And nothing's random. So think back for a minute. Well, that's really interesting because I'm, I mean, I had, you know, this is completely left field for me, so that's, that's really good because it means I have to come from my instinct rather than my intellect. And, and what I'm thinking about is that I was determined to be a doctor, I really wanted to help heal people. Yes, many sensitive people have that instinct and and desire. When I was a kid, I I just wanted to make people laugh and be happy because I was an empath and I was picking up so much pain and worry and sorrow around yeah. me, and I would either be laughing and joyful or crying because yeah, I exactly. I did I. I didn't know it was other people's pain, but you were probably the same way. Yeah. That's very good, actually, because that actually does that. Funnily enough, that just fills in quite a big gap that I hadn't, you know, I hadn't visited for, you know, 60 years, so that's pretty good. Yeah. So now we know. See, we begin with the plan, and the plan finds us one way or another, and we complete our mission. Everyone has a mission. It doesn't have to be big. It can be very small, actually. But if your soul yeah. finds the truth of what you came here to discover, 
then it's quite big and important. Tell us something of your grief and sadness at the loss of your beloved daughter, Melissa, and something of your own beginning journey with the grief process, which you experienced well before that event in your family life with your sister. Yes, well, well my sister, um, when I was, um, uh, I was 19 years old and she was 18, we were both still living with our parents, she had uh, the part of Brigitte in The Sound of Music on the West End stage. And uh, Susan George was my sister's understudy. And uh, she looked like she was really going to fly really high. And then she had a breakdown. And um, and she completely lost it. And she never really recovered. She's still alive to this day, but she lives in a care home. And uh, and she was, she was very paranoid. And um, I remember her screaming at one point, the taxi drivers are coming to kill us. And yeah. I just thought, I can't, bear, I can't bear being here. This is... This is too crazy for me. And I, I tried to avoid craziness for the rest of my life until I had no choice with, with, the, um, with what happened to my daughter. Yes, well, I, I understand that quite well because I, I had a sister. She just passed a few weeks ago, and she had a similar condition and acted uh, in a similar way, whether it's bipolar, ADHD, schizophrenia, depression, or whatever my younger sister had, which was uh, a social psychological disorder. It is yeah. so hard for the families to understand, much less deal with. My sister was valedictorian and graduated cum laude, and she really? she was an artist and writer, and and it started young. She started to have these problems uh, right around the end of college at twenty. And I sincerely believe that I don't think there's a family that is free of a member who suffers the stresses of a physical, emotional, or mental disorder that affects their lives so dramatically and, and everyone around them. But perhaps it's in the scheme of soul life that we all need to be surrounded by these uh, sensitive people so we can develop greater patience and compassion which are higher universal or spiritual soul goals. Perhaps, yes. I would like to think that perhaps that is the reason. And my sister was also, she's younger than me, and she was also in a care center. Right, yes. So so I, I understand, and you became aware of it, and, and I became aware of it at a younger age, but I really didn't understand it Till perhaps the last 25 years ago when I became uh, spiritually aware of soul energy and my ability to transcend different dimensions, time and space, and to communicate with higher intelligence or souls or the afterlife or whatever you want to call it, and, and, yeah. and knew for a fact uh, that we were more than our physical body. Uh, but I may have sensed it when I was younger, but I was very practical and business oriented and I really uh, maybe was afraid to go down yeah. that path then but when your time comes and and the destiny calls you have a choice you well, either exactly. yeah. yeah right yeah absolutely and in fact you know when Melissa took her life I feel like my, the crossroads came in my life and I had a 
a very big journey to make to to go to find my way through it and to make meaning of it. Well, in I would think that in Melissa's life plan and yours, that that happening was supposed to happen for you to go past um, where you were so you could write this book and help the people you help in your practice and uh, know that your daughter is all right. And you wrote this. uh, With hindsight, it's easy to see that there was a point at which she was swerving between highs and lows, agonizing about life, while at the same time traveling all over the country, partying, socializing, and working. The the stillness that is part of a healthy psyche was absent. She was all movement. Melissa had lost hold of her internal compass, and extreme pieces of behavior emerged. And that's exactly uh, what goes wrong. It is a soul journey, and perhaps the soul chose that journey. I don't say perhaps. I, I know that the soul chose that that journey. And the people who have the most difficulty have the most evolved souls and have taken on the hardest destinies. That's I think that's right, because you know, if you look at um, the, the great artists and the great writers and the great musicians, they, their, their work has often been propelled by their suffering. Um, I mean, my, my great hero is Leonard Cohen, and I think he's, um, you know, he came through such suffering that he, it gave him such insight, and he was able to bring through this beautiful gift. And I really feel like the suffering I went through meant that this book, Slay Your Dragons with Compassion, which I've written, is, is ten times better than the other books I've written because it comes from a place of being having been educated through my own suffering. Yes, becoming greater aware of your higher consciousness. Absolutely. Tell us something yeah. of working uh, with the Alternatives Program at St. James in London. I love London. I've been there many times. My son's first job was there. My daughter studied for a summer at Oxford. And oh, wow. I probably I live in an English Tudor house, and wow. and I've probably had uh, a past lifetime or two in England. So, and my first uh, Reiki master teacher was Robert Brown from London, Reverend uh-huh. Robert Brown. So, yeah, I'm very connected. Uh, so, tell us, tell us about that program and the people and some of the spiritual teachers or authors you might. Uh, be interested in? Well, um, in uh, um, 1982, which is now going back a hell of a long way, um, I danced in something called the Cosmic Celebration, which was put on by the Sufi master, Pir Vilaya Khan, at a place called St. James's Church. And I thought, well, this is, you know, um, you know it's a church. But at the end of it, the, um, um, the performance, uh, the rector came out, Donald Reeves, and he said, every church in the land should have a cosmic celebration. And I God, he's a really switched-on guy. And I said to him, are you interested in having a series exploring what was then called the New Age? He said, well, that's actually part of my plan. I've written a, a seven-point a seven plan about what I want to do in this church. And one of it is to, do, to have something that explores spirituality outside of the Christian religion. And so we started this series. It was a small series. And, and then... Um, the Americans started coming into Britain and uh, Rod, uh, Roger Houston, who started the Open Gate Trust, was putting on big workshops for people like Ram Das 
um, for Thich Nhat Hanh, for Elizabeth Kubler-Ross, um, for a lot of a lot of big players in the States. And I did a deal with him where we would do like the text of his workshop. We'd have uh, lectures for, for his workshop leaders. And suddenly from getting 20 people a week, we were getting 250 people a week as we started to bring in some very, very profound speakers. And in the time at St. James's, we've managed to host people like Eckhart Tolle, who used to be one of our, you know, he used to, he used to be there as a, as a, as a, as a customer. Um, and uh, R.D. Lang, the great psychiatrist. Uh, we've put on some of, the, some of the biggest names. We've got Marian Williamson, Deepak Chopra. So they've all passed through our doors. And, uh, and we've had some, you know, we've, we've hired places like the Royal Albert Hall, which is the largest uh, venue in, in, in London um, and the most prestigious and put on Eckhart um, there last year, or year before last, actually. That's um, great. That sounds like a wonderful place. I'd like to visit it myself. You, you, you know, but most people don't really know what spirituality is. Spirituality is really uh, the unfolding of soul memories and being um, personally aware of your own interests and growth and connecting uh, to spirit and, and higher realms of dimensions of life uh, personally, you know, yeah. in, a, in a personal way, not through uh, scripture and not through other people's thoughts, but uh, growing your own and, and being with people who are exploring this help you greatly uh, to understand more about life and your whole being, your your ego-based reality and your spirit-based reality. And, and many people don't know how to describe it that way, but that's what you became interested in. Uh, so you can be interested in religion and different cultures and art and music and, and spirituality, but in essence, they're all just telling us and teaching us who we are as soul right. beings. Yeah. So it's so it's a beautiful thing. Now, what would you say are some of the personal dragons you have had to slay with compassion in your own life? Well, I think the, the number one dragon that I've had to slay is that my, my mother, bless her soul, and um, she, she she passed a year and a half ago. But um, she she would always lie, and and she did it from what she called very fine motives. You know, she she said they were white lies. She never liked to hurt people. But I learned from a very early age not to tell the truth. And uh, it took a moment of sort of a pure sort of like recognition that this was a very unhealthy way of being. And so I think that's the dragon I really had to take on, is how to tell the truth in a way that wasn't going to cause suffering or unnecessary suffering to the person I was having to speak my truth to, but to learn to actually say what was real and what was true and in that way, you become more trustworthy. And so I want that from my friends. I want them to be straight with me, not to make me feel good, but to actually be, to know that I can rely on them to reflect back to me what's true. So that's the big dragon I think I've had to slay. And that's why your mother was that way, again, to give you an opportunity to sense that that was not your way. And you wrote this, Malcolm, when we are truly seen for who we are, not for what other people expect of us or, or the way they are. And likewise, when we truly see another for who they truly are, life 
flows. And you go on to say, say, we can become conscious of the quality of our attention whenever we speak to our intimate others. Each time we practice presence, we bring moments of sanctuary wherever we go. And we're often called to bear witness in situations that are dangerous or destructive. So that's what it is. So we're all yeah. put in these situations. And in essence, it helps us to climb above uh, these challenges or uh, stepping stones to our own authentic way uh, to calm any anger or judgment. Because that's what the soul is here to do. Become uh, wiser. Uh, notice our, our response. Right? So all the people giving us these challenging uh, difficulties are actually giving us a gift. A gift. Yes. Let's go on. Really, I've, yes. I've never seen my mother as, as having given me a gift until just now. So actually what you've just said now has really landed with me. And I've got, of course, she actually was a, a brilliant educator. You know and, what? And it, I am an yeah. intuitive and a lot of times things come out of me that come uh, from others. Perhaps your mom wanted that said to you. So you remember uh, that she gave you uh, a great gift. She gave you a gift of love, and she gave you the best she could of herself. But like all our parents and teachers, educators and doctors and whatever, they all carry their own little traumas from childhood. And sure. and and it comes out sometimes when we don't even mean for it to come out, and then we think about it and say, oh, that was me from a past time. I don't really, I'm not like that now, and I don't want to be like that now. But it That's happens right. anyhow. But just being aware of it is a very great thing. So let's go on to, tell us of some of the major challenges many of your clients face and some techniques you help them to incorporate into a successful plan for moving beyond suffering to accepting life and living well. Because you know suffering is just a choice, like yeah, I, choosing to be whole and hell. So, how do? You, what are some of the major challenges? Well, I think often it's, it's like they get that my clients can get caught in a story. So they'll tell the story and they'll tell it again and again and again, and then they they sort of revel almost like they revel in their own suffering. But what I'm interested in is what's going on behind the story. What's the insight that's longing to be born? And um, so the way I have a looking at it is really that, first of all, we have to be conscious. If we're going to try and change any patterns, we've got to be conscious that there's a pattern going on. Secondly, we, want to, we need to have a, a plan to find our way through that. And we need to create support structures for ourselves to do it. So we need to have people in our lives who are going to speak truth to us. Then we need to have sort of things that are going to nourish us. So we're, we're, we're sort of looking at at sort of resourcing ourselves. And what I realized when Melissa died was that I had actually resourced myself quite a lot and, um, and that I already had a lot of the tools I needed to be able to manage the journey through um, what was an incredible amount of suffering and, and not just my own suffering, but the suffering of my other children who are her half-brother and sister and um, her, her stepmother, my, my ex-wife Amanda, who, um, you know, all of them were really suffering as well. So... Um, so we, I had to find ways through. And for me, the book is like a manual of, lo of like looking at different um, practices because I think everything is about practice. If we can find the right practice, we start to develop ourselves. So I meditate every day um, because it's an important practice. 
I also try and practice kindness that wherever I feel angry or I feel upset with someone that I don't try and I don't allow that to run me. So that, you know, the Dalai Lama said, my religion is kindness. There's a really simple practice there. Can we practice being kind? Can we practice being honest? Can we practice being still? So these are the things I'm looking at that, that some of my clients can, can work with in order to try and change the patterning. Yes, and we're trying to center ourselves. We're trying to find the peace that resides within us. We were born with it. It's our destiny to have it, but the outside world often uh, uh, deflects from that, and we get it back in like a small action, like meditating, but with regularity, it does seem to pay off. And then we learn that eating well, exercising well, sleeping well, and loving generously, you said that, uh, help also to get us in touch with our own radar. And I, I especially like that you uh, wrote about children. As children, we functioned effectively on instinct. That's our soul instinct. But very quickly, this gets slapped down in schools and friendships and even by skilled parents. They may teach you to use your ego-based thoughts to go against your soul-based intuition or navigating system. That's your soul energy. And you won't find your radar in your thinking mind uh, the way it is through the body. It is in your feelings and your intuition. And following your radar might mean that you're swimming against the tide of society's perceived truths. And to find, yeah, you wrote all that. And, and that's the key to finding authenticity and kindness and compassion and the truth of our soul being, even though our soul being might come in with a physical challenge like a mental illness or physical challenge or a learning disability or being in a family that's abusive. That could be the challenge. But we have within us the ability uh, to perceive things in a better way. We just have to find our own way of dealing with it. Yes, yes, exactly. So how can we allow our relationships to educate us and encourage greater self-growth? Well, we can, we can undertake practices within relationships. For example, um, can you make a practice of not blaming the other? So you made me angry. You can actually start to take, take ownership of your own feelings. Wow, when that happened, I felt really angry. Um, or you could even say, ouch, when, someone, when, you're, when you're in a relationship and someone says something to you that hurts you, rather than attacking them. So I think we've got to... We've got to change. We're evolving. We're at a stage of evolution now where we could either come through this and actually find ourselves to, to, to be um, you know, sort of the forerunners of the, of the next stage of evolution, or we could be sort of, um, we could just see that, that we are dying as a race, the way that we're behaving. So we've got to learn new structures and patterns. And I think our relationships educate us enormously because if we find a good partner, we can actually really work with them to try and create a sort of like a dynamic where we're doing real good in the world together. I agree with you wholeheartedly. That's exactly what's happening. We can either find ways to uplift our actions and find greater compassion and kindness and act in a more uh, unified and loving way, 
or we can let the tragedies happening around us suck us in to a vortex of suffering and lack of response. And yeah. and we we are being, I don't want to say tested, but we are being opened up, perhaps, uh, to yeah. the possibilities of infinite uh, ways to up the energy of our soul from a third-dimensional thinking to a fourth and fifth-dimensional way of a more energetic presence in the world. So I think that's wonderful. What have you come to understand about death and the dying process or reason that some people have a shorter or longer life? And do you believe there is an afterlife? Well, um... I think I've had some very direct experiences or, or tastes of things beyond the, the physical world and um, and a, a real sense, for example, um, when, when uh, Melissa died, um, I was longing to have dreams about her and I couldn't have a dream about her. And then after six months, I had a, a dream where I found her and I said, and, and I rang the telephone number and she um uh, this woman answered the phone and handed it over to Melissa and she said in a very flat voice, hello mum. And she said, it's not, I said, it's not mum, it's dad. And she hung up on me. And that, that was the only dream I had for two years. But then two years later, I had a dream where I'd gone to a party and she was there and she was brightly coloured and shining and happy. And it felt like she'd transited through something. And I thought, wow, that's an extraordinary dream. And so I rang my daughter, Alex, and said, you know, I've had this dream. She said, Dad, I had the same dream last night. And I thought, if that's not communication from beyond the grave, then I don't know what is. So there's well, things like that. It definitely is. Yeah. I mean, I, 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 I meditate. And for my clients, uh, recently, after my sister passed December 28th, I waited yeah. a little while. And I, I, I meditated and, 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 she, her soul, her energy, her guides, her teachers, God, whatever. I'm not always sure of the source, but as a very creative soul herself, she explained things to me in such a beautiful way that only I could know that it was yeah. her. And and I did that for my other sister who passed five years ago. That's in my yeah. book, A New Life Awaits, that reading. But long ago, I was told that I could do a reading with any soul in or out of a body. And wow, I, cool. I, I, I couldn't understand it. But you see, we're just energy. And energy yeah. can be uh, transmitted. Malcolm, what do you want people to take away with them from your book? I'd like to take away the fact that actually that they are not doomed to a life of, of difficulty and struggle that actually those difficulties and struggles can be transcended and that actually um, the, the best people I know are people who've come through a, a great deal of suffering and, and struggle in to become who they truly are and, uh, and to learn how to get support. I mean, I think this is one of the most important things in the book is how to get support and how to get to create support systems yes. where actually we're able to sort of you know, drink from that support. So like every Monday morning, I do a, a, an hour with a friend on Zoom and we, we sort of um, uh, spend time listening to each other, reflecting for each other and really supporting each other in our highest selves. So I think we need to create little sort of like creations like that 
to help us through these difficult times. I love that. That's so right on. And I want to thank you, Malcolm Stern, author of Slay Your Dragons with Compassion, for sharing a lifetime of love and service to all who cross your path as a healer and messenger of truth in a time when the world seems to have forgotten the beauty of family and friendship and life in its simplest aspects. To learn more about how to deal with your own challenges and to emerge with light and love, go to MalcolmStern.com. In summarizing today's episode of Healing from Within, Malcolm has shared his lifelong involvement of working with groups and individuals as a psychologist and his worst nightmare of losing his daughter through suicide. But that challenging event made him evaluate every aspect of life and led him uh, to create wholeness for himself and for others. We know now that a tragedy is often an opening to new ways to perceive yourself and life. Malcolm says that meaning can exist in the worst tragedies and that the changes we make as a result of struggle and devastation can encourage courageous and powerful changes in our thoughts, actions, and heart. Malcolm and I would have you begin to feel your bodily responses to people, places, and events as you sensitize yourself to the many energetic waves of energy that are all around us and within. And in finding what makes you feel alive and a citizen of the universe, you will not only slay your dragons and fears, but enrich the world by being in a grandest state of acceptance, love, and happiness. I am your host, Cheryl Glick, host of Healing from Within, and author of my newest book, A New Life Awaits. And I invite you to visit my website, CherylGlick.com, to read about and listen to Seekers of Truth about the world of our spiritual essence, physical life, from metaphysicians, scientists, spiritualists, medical professionals, psychologists, energy workers, and those in the arts and music. Shows may also be heard on web talkradio.net and dreamvisions7radio.com Thank you.